Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. It's good to see you this morning. As we uh, dive into the Word, we are in the middle of a series right now. There's seven statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am. We saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the all-satisfying nourishment, the sustenance that gives eternal life and eternal satisfaction. Jesus is the bread of life. Last week, we looked at John chapter 9, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is the one who gives sight to the blind, and he, with his light, also exposes spiritual blindness. Well, today in John chapter 10, uh, we're actually going to see two I am statements. So we'll spend this week and next week in John chapter 10. And this week specifically, we'll look at Jesus' statement where he says, I am the door of the sheep. So I hope you found John 10. Let's read together, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 21. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we see in this text the term abundant life. Abundant life. Now, unfortunately, many people have misunderstood this term. There's been some bad teaching about this term. Some people have taught that this idea of abundant life has to do with God, God wants to make you rich. Or God wants to make sure that you're healthy. And if you're not wealthy or healthy, well, you must just not have enough faith. Because God wants you to have an abundant life, right? Well, this is not the teaching of Scripture. This, is, this prosperity gospel is a, is a false gospel. And so, in response to that, many have pushed back and recognized, no, in Scripture what we see is Jesus actually promises suffering for his people. What Jesus says is that we're to take up our cross and we're to die The Christian life is about self-denial. Well, there's a danger in the pushback, though. There's a a danger in the pendulum swinging too far the other way. When we recognize the one error, we can swing into something else. Um, When I was uh, living in Jacksonville, Florida, I was part of a church, and I was uh, praying with a group of guys one evening because we were going to spend the next day doing ministry in our community. And so we were praying that night about the ministry we were going to do the next day, and we, were, we had just come out of some teaching on Romans 12, where Paul writes that we're to be living sacrifices. And so we're praying about that in, in advance of the next day's ministry. So we're praying, a group of us gathered together, and we're praying, you know, God, we, we just want to be sacrifices on the altar. You, you know, we want to we lay our lives down. We're going to take up our crosses. And, you know, we, God, we, we want to just deny ourselves, and we, God, I know it's going to hurt, but, Lord, that, that's what we want to do. and We're not going to like it, but, oh, but, Lord, that's what we want. That's what you want. And, Lord, it's just going to be miserable, and we're going to hate it, but that's what you want. And, like, more and more, as we just kept on praying, it was just, like, self-deprecating into misery and agony, like, as if that's what the Lord wanted. And, and finally, one of the guys in the group named Chris, he, he was hearing us praying that way, and he, he just interjected, and he prayed this. He said, Lord, we... We do want to be sacrifices on the altar. But teach us that there is joy in the altar. And in that moment, all of us who were listening to him pray this prayer were like, oh, we've been missing it. Because no, God does not promise to make our lives perfectly comfortable. God does not promise health and wealth. And yes, Jesus does call us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and die daily. But what the life that Jesus calls us to is not a life of misery. The life that Jesus calls us to is a greater joy than the joy that comes from stuff. The life that Jesus calls us to is greater and deeper and more profound joy than that just that comes from fulfilling maybe our fleshly desires. The life that Jesus promises, even though there might be some who misunderstand this term abundant life, Jesus still says that he has come to give us abundant life. And so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater just because some people might have misunderstood and taken this the wrong way. 
Jesus invites us to enter through him into abundant life, into a life of joy. And yeah, there is suffering, but what Jesus says is that the life of flourishing is a life that is poor in spirit. What Paul says is that we rejoice in our sufferings. James says, count it all joy when you face trials. Jesus himself endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy set before him. So there is a deeper joy that Jesus calls us to. Jesus invites us to enter through him into abundant life because he is the door of the sheep. Jesus is the door of the sheep. So let's dive into the text and see a little bit of what this abundant life that Jesus invites us into looks like. You may have noticed at the end of this passage that we read, there was a reference to uh, Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. And the reason for that is that this narrative here in chapter 10 picks up right where we left off at the end of chapter 9 last week. This is really a continuation of the story. And um, to just quickly summarize and refresh your memory on what happened last week in this uh, chapter that immediately comes before the one we're in today. So Jesus had, he had just been run out of the temple by a mob of angry Jews getting ready to stone him. And as he was leaving there, he comes across a blind man. And what he tells his disciples is that this man is blind so that God could show off his glory in this man. And he miraculously heals the man. But this causes a controversy with the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. So they question the man and ask how this happened to him, how he was healed. And he says that Jesus did it. Well, they don't believe him and they bring in his parents and they ask them, how did this happen? And the parents are scared of what the Jews might do to them. They're scared of being removed from the synagogue. And so they don't even hint at the fact that Jesus was responsible for their son's healing. And so the Jewish leaders bring back the blind, formerly blind man once again, and they ask him again about how it was that he was healed, and they pressure him. They, they use their position of religious authority, and they pressure him into denouncing and condemning this Jesus. But contrary to what the Pharisees wanted, the man who had been blind gives full credit to Jesus and says, no, no, this, this man is not to condemn. This man is not a sinner. This, this man could only do this if he is from God. He ends this passage believing in Jesus as his Lord, and the Pharisees kick him out. They cast him out. And we need to understand the significance of the fact that the Pharisees cast out this blind man. See, it doesn't just mean that they removed him from a building, as if they were just sick of him, and so they said, hey, there's the door, see you later. No, this idea of casting him out, they were excommunicating him from the community of God's people. The Jewish leaders recognized this man was, in their minds, a blasphemer. And so they were saying, we no longer recognize you as belonging to the family of God. And they excommunicated this man. And so right on the heels of some bad shepherds removing a sheep from the flock of God, Jesus steps in and he offers some good, true teaching on the flock of God. 
and who the true shepherd is of the sheep and who really is the door who determines who's in and out of the sheepfold. That's the context that we find ourselves at as we enter here into John and chapter 10. So right on the heels of this, Jesus paints this picture of a sheepfold, a group of sheep that's contained by a a pen, either a fence or a wall or some sort of a structure, and there's one door, one gate, one way in and one way out. And the shepherd, the true shepherd of the sheep, goes in and out of that door, and you know if you see someone climbing over the fence or coming in another way, you know that's not the true shepherd. You know that's someone who means harm, who is not who does not have the best interest of the sheep in mind. But Jesus says that the sheep don't listen to that voice. The true sheep know the true shepherd. Well, so Jesus paints this picture, and the idea of a flock, the picture of a flock, would have been familiar to anyone who was familiar with the Jewish scriptures. Uh, We read in Psalm 100 uh, how often in the Old Testament the people of God were described as a flock of sheep. You may have noticed that in uh, Psalm 100, here in, right in the songbook of Israel, here's one of Israel's greatest hits, one that they would have had on their lips as they were going to the temple and whatnot. He says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So it should have been a familiar picture, but as we see in verse 6, uh, as Jesus gives this figure of speech, they don't really understand what it is that he's getting at with this allegory that he has offered them. They don't get it, and so he clarifies in verse 7, and he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. And he contrasts himself as the door of the sheep with the Pharisees. He likens them to thieves and robbers, those who are only after their own gain, those who are after harming the sheep. The thieves and robbers, the the Pharisees, may have thought that they were the ones who ultimately got to decide who is in and out of the flock of God as they kick people out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. But what Jesus turns around and says is, no, I am the door. I am the way in. I am the way out. I am the one who determines who is in the flock of God. I am the one you must enter, not you. And so here we see this picture of Jesus as the door of the sheep. He is the one that we enter through in order to enter into the flock of God. And in this text, he invites us to enter through him into abundant life. We're going to look at three different aspects of what it means that Jesus is the door of the sheep. And the first is that he is an entrance. He is not an entrance. He is the entrance. Look at verse 9 again with me. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So Jesus offers this picture. He unpacks this picture of a door and sheep. If sheep enter into the door, into the sheepfold, they enter into salvation. They're saved from danger. They're saved from the perils of nature as uh, they would be wandering if they were not inside the safety of the sheepfold. 
They enter through the door into the sheepfold, and they're saved from natural dangers. They enter into the sheepfold and through the door, and they're saved from thieves and robbers. They enter into the sheepfold through the door, and they're saved from wolves and predators. Because sheep are vulnerable. Sheep face many dangers, and they need to enter through the door in order to be saved from all of these dangers to which they are vulnerable. But we as humans are far more vulnerable than sheep. We as humans are vulnerable in that we have, as humans, sinned against a holy God, and we deserve His just wrath. We've rebelled against God. We've rebelled against Him in our our thoughts. We've rebelled by loving lesser things more than God. We've rebelled by being unkind to other people. We've rebelled by living for ourselves instead of living for God. We've rebelled time after time as we desire wrongly and we think wrongly and we act wrongly. And for that, we deserve God's wrath. We have profaned a holy and righteous and perfect God. And we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We need salvation because there is nothing we can do on our own to stop that wrath from coming. We cannot talk our way out of it. We cannot deflect God's wrath. We can't counterbalance our sin with righteousness. There is nothing that we can do on our own to stop the wrath of God from coming. We need salvation if we are going to stand. We need someone to intervene and stop God's wrath because we cannot stop it ourselves. And intervene is exactly what Jesus did. He intervened. He came to this earth and he lived the perfect life of righteousness that we could not live. He lived righteously so that if we enter through him as the door, we can have his righteousness applied to us through faith in him. And we can stand righteous before God, even though we are sinners on our own. Jesus came and he died the death that we should have died. And he died as a substitute so that if anyone enters through him and trusts in him as their substitute, they can be forgiven of sin. They can have the wrath that they deserve put on Jesus instead of them. They can enter through Jesus and find salvation from God's wrath. Jesus came and after he died on the third day, he rose again from the grave, defeating death. So that if anyone enters through him, if anyone trusts in him as the door, they can have eternal, abundant life in him. Anyone who enters into salvation through Jesus can be saved from the wrath of God, saved from their sin, saved from death, and enter into abundant, eternal life. Because first and foremost, abundant life is eternal life. Notice that as Jesus says here, that he is the entrance into salvation. That this entrance into salvation that he offers is both exclusive and inclusive. 
it's, it's exclusive because what he says is that if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There is only one door into the flock of God. There is only one door. There are not many doors into the sheepfold. Not all roads lead to heaven. A good Muslim does not enter into the flock. A faithful Hindu does not enter into the flock. A sincere Buddhist, a moral atheist, does not enter into the flock. There's also false Jesuses out there that aren't entrances into the flock. If you believe in a Jesus that didn't rise from the dead, you can't enter through that. That's not an entrance. If you believe in a Jesus who wasn't fully God, that's not an entrance. If you believe in a Jesus who's not one with the Father, that's not an entrance into the sheepfold. There is only one way. There is only one door. There is only one entrance into the flock of God, and it is Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures. It is exclusively through Jesus that we can enter into the people of God, that we can enter into salvation. But it is also inclusive. Did you notice? He says, if anyone enters by me, if anyone enters by me, there is no one who cannot enter through the door into salvation. There is no one who cannot enter into salvation through Jesus. Jesus came to be the Savior for the educated and the illiterate. Jesus came to be the Savior for Jew and Gentile. He came to be the Savior for male and female, for those who are rich and poor, for those who are black and white, for every single person, for those who are righteous in their own eyes like the Pharisees, and those who the world's thought were the lowest of the low, like tax collectors and prostitutes and others that we see in Scripture. You have not gone so far that Jesus cannot still save you. Jesus is the Savior for anyone. He is the Savior for anyone who comes through him. You have not crossed the line past which Jesus cannot save. Anyone can enter through Jesus. So enter. Enter into salvation. Enter into the people of God through faith in Jesus. Trust in him. And may we, who have entered through Jesus, point people to the one door, the one hope that anyone can enter into. Jesus, as the door of the sheep, is the entrance into salvation. Jesus is the entrance, and as the door, he is also protection. He provides protection as the door of the sheep. So in a sheepfold, the door opens so that the sheep can enter into the sheepfold. But the door also closes to keep the sheep secure. It closes to keep the sheep safe. Likewise, Jesus, as the door of the sheep, of God's flock, he is both an entrance into salvation, an entrance into the flock of God, and he offers protection for everyone who enters in through him. Jesus said in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. That phrase, in and out, is something that's used in the Old Testament 
basically as a, as a stand-in for all of life, the, the extremes and everything in between, coming in and going out. We read it in Psalm 121 earlier. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus, as the door, offers protection and safety for all of life, for his sheep. An abundant life is a secure life in Jesus. He promises protection for all who would enter through him and would hide behind him as the door for security and for safety. Sheep, as we've said before, would face many dangers that the door would protect them from. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is here comparing the Pharisees to thieves that would come in to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, Thieves that would come in and break into a, a literal sheepfold would often come in order to steal the sheep away and go slaughter them. They weren't looking out for the safety and protection of the sheep. They were looking out for themselves. They were trying to gain from it. They were trying to get something. They were trying to take advantage of the sheep for their own gain. And Jesus, as he's comparing the Pharisees to thieves, he's not saying that the Pharisees literally were stealing from people. He's not saying that the Pharisees were literally murdering people. But what he's saying is that just like thieves would come into a sheepfold, not for the well-being of the sheep, but for their own gain and to devour the sheep and to take advantage of the sheep, that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what Jesus is saying the Pharisees are doing. Pharisees, as we saw last week and as we see throughout Scripture, they're spiritually abusive. They're power-hungry. They took instead of giving. They made promises of abundant life, but really they weren't out to use their power to give to others. They were using it and abusing it in order to take advantage of sheep. Maybe you can relate to what it's like to know someone who's in a position of authority who abuses their power. Maybe you know what it's like to look up to someone, to trust to someone, maybe even as a a spiritual leader like these were supposed to be. Someone that you looked up to and trusted to have your best interest in mind. But instead of using their power to be generous, they were using their power to take from you, to take advantage of you. Maybe you know what it's like to feel robbed, not of possessions, but at a deeper level at a more emotional and spiritual and profound level, to feel violated, to have trusted in someone only to have your trust broken by someone who was supposed to be for you, who turned out to take advantage of your trust. What you need to know is that Jesus came not to steal or kill or destroy, but to give you abundant Life And whatever else might have happened in your life, whatever else you might have gone through, 
however much you might be tempted not to ever trust anyone, again, you need to know that you can trust in Jesus. He has all power in his hand, but he never uses his power against the vulnerable. He uses his power to protect the vulnerable. He is a safe place for all who trust in him. He is the ultimate safe place for all who enter into the sheepfold through him. You can trust Jesus and you can know that he will always, always use his power to protect you. You can find in Jesus what you can't find anywhere else, a perfect protector, someone you can rely on. But you know, the door as protection wasn't just protecting the sheep from things from the outside. There were more threats to the sheep than just those who would want to come in and do harm. One of the threats that sheep would have faced is if they were to go out of the sheepfold on their own. Yes, the the door was to keep bad out. But the door is also to keep sheep in. It keeps sheep in by keeping them inside the safety of the sheepfold. And this is exactly how Jesus protects us as the door. Not only does he protect from external sources of danger and external sources of, of, um, of evil, he also protects us from ourselves. He keeps us in. He keeps us from going out. He keeps us safe. Do you remember back in chapter 6 and verse 39 what Jesus said about the Father's will? He says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus, as the door of the sheep, is committed to keeping every sheep that comes in inside the safety of the sheepfold. He protects us from ourselves. The abundant life that Jesus gives us was purchased by his blood and given to us for free. It does not come at any cost to us, and there's nothing that we can do to lose it once it's been given to us. Jesus protects us from losing our salvation. He protects us from leaving the safety of the sheepfold. We can trust Jesus not to lose us. We can trust Jesus to keep us secure. The abundant life he gives us is a life that is secure for all of eternity. You can trust Jesus to keep your salvation secure. Jesus is the entrance into salvation. He offers protection as the door of the sheep. And the third thing we see in this text is that Jesus as the door of the sheep is the way to provision. Entrance, protection, and provision. Look with with me once again at verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture. So the sheep would go through the door to go inside and find protection. They would go through the door to come in to the flock. But the sheep would also be led by the shepherd out 
through the door out into pasture, into fields of pasture where they would find nourishment, where they would find provision. Well, likewise, Jesus as the door opens up into pasture. He provides for the flock of God. He provides in so many ways. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because Jesus is the source of provision that leaves us not wanting. Throughout the Gospel of John, we, we've already seen some of the ways that Jesus points to himself as the source of provision. Points to himself as the source of satisfaction for all of our longings. In chapter 6, in verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He said in chapter 7, and verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus, as the door of the sheep, opens up into provision. Jesus has provided in himself everything that we need. Everything that our soul longs for. He is all satisfying. Just consider some, just a few of the ways that Jesus has provided for us who have entered into salvation through him. First and foremost, in Jesus, we've been provided a Savior to redeem us, to forgive us of sin and protect us from God's wrath and give us eternal abundant life. In Jesus, we have been provided righteousness, though we didn't deserve it. In Jesus, we have been provided the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to teach us, to encourage us. In Jesus, we've been provided the word of God that Jesus said, uh, he said about it that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus, we've been provided new mercies every morning. In Jesus, we've been provided grace upon grace. In Jesus, we've been given a new heart that desires to do God's will. In Jesus, we've been provided God's love, God's eternal, boundless love. In Jesus, we have been provided acceptance. We're accepted before God through Jesus. In Jesus, we have been provided life, eternal life, abundant life. In Jesus, we we have care. We have peace. We have freedom. In Jesus, we've been given a Father who knows what we need before we ask and who delights to give good gifts to his children. In Jesus, we've been adopted into a family with spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. In Jesus, we've been given belonging into the family of God, into the flock of God. In Jesus, we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness, Scripture says. Jesus satisfies the greatest longings and the depths of our soul. Everything that our heart wants, everything that we keep looking for, everything that we are searching for, Jesus provides in his abundant life that he gives to us in himself. Jesus wants to do far more than just satisfy our physical hunger. Jesus wants to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul.
And in him we have everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus does want to do far more than just satisfy our physical hunger. We have a greater need. But, but what about physical hunger? You know, we, we talked a little bit before about this, the prosperity gospel, the idea that Je- Jesus just wants to make you rich and Jesus wants to make your life, you know, g- give you everything that you, you want. And, and a lot of people misunderstand that. And I, I think in this room, I'm, I'm safe to say that I, we pretty much all agree, yeah, that's, that's not the true gospel. That's a false gospel, this idea that God's just out to make me healthy and wealthy. And we may acknowledge that, but we still have to put food on the table, there's still bills to pay. There's still diapers to buy. Can I get a name in? Um, so we still have physical needs. Yes, our, our greatest, deep, spiritual longings of our soul are, are met in Jesus. But does Jesus care about the physical? Well, yes. And first of all, we know that Jesus cares about the physical because he made us physical. <laughs> He gave us bodies. He, he made us not just floating souls in the ether. He made us embodied souls. He gave us a body that's intricately tied to our soul. So he made us physical. He cares about the physical in that sense. Uh, he, we also know he cares about the physical because one day after we die, we're going to be resurrected to physical glorified bodies. And in the new heavens and new earth, we will be totally physically provided for. There, there will not be poverty. Po- Poverty. <laughs> there will not be poverty. There will not be sickness or death in these glorified bodies. And, and so we see this picture that ultimately Jesus is going to perfectly, once for all, provide physically. Uh, but we also see Jesus saying things in Scripture like, you know, my father clothes the lilies. My father feeds the ravens, and he cares about his children far more than he cares about flowers that perish and ravens so then why is it that some of jesus sheep live in poverty why is it that some of jesus sheep don't have what they physically would need well i think part of maybe the rub for us is that sometimes we expect that for god to provide for physical needs through this supernatural miraculous way like the fact that God would provide for my needs looks like, you know, manna just showing up in my lawn one day or money growing on trees. Like, oh, God's provided for me in this supernatural, miraculous way that I never could have seen coming. But what we see in Scripture often is that the way that God provides is through ordinary, natural means. Often in Scripture, what we see is that God chooses to work through ordinary, natural means before he would act through a supernatural or miraculous way. And and let me give you an example. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved. So then why doesn't he just snap his finger? Why doesn't he just make it happen? Why doesn't he have, you know, heavenly megaphones going throughout all the world and spreading the gospel in an instant to every single people group? Well, God has ordained, he has chosen to use human messengers to carry his gospel. He has chosen this ordinary, natural way in order to get his gospel to people who need to hear it. It's up to obedient Christ followers to see that this news gets out to people. God chooses an ordinary, 
natural means in order to make this happen. Well, likewise, God provides physically through natural, ordinary ways. First and foremost, through work, right? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, if anyone is unwilling to work, he shouldn't be allowed to eat. God has, don't say that God hasn't provided for you if he's provided for provided you with two hands to work and two feet and he's provided you with a brain and a Bible in order to help you manage money. The Lord provides through our work and he provides in that way. But of course, it's not always that simple. There are some who are willing to work and can't. Maybe for some physical reason that impairs them from being able to work. Some are willing to work and can't uh, because of some sort of a societal reason. They would be willing to work, they're able to work, but because of something in society, they're not able to, um, to work as they would want. For instance, uh, I, I've gotten to meet Christians who are persecuted in, in a couple of different countries uh, who would absolutely be willing to work. They have businesses, they're trying to work, but because their culture and their society is hostile towards Christianity, their community, their society boycotts their businesses and they are persecuted economically and so they're willing to work, they're able to work, but they still have need because of these societal reasons. Well, God has also provided a natural, ordinary way to provide for people who are willing to work but can't. And it's through the generosity of his obedient children. Remember, we saw in Ephesians 4, we studied Ephesians just recently. uh, Paul said, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor so that he would have something to give to someone in need. God has designed to provide for people sometimes through us. It's not right for me to look at someone and say, oh man, why hasn't God provided for this person who's in need when the provision that God may have provided is in my pocket, closed in my wallet? God provides often through ordinary, natural means. And so may we, first and foremost, uh, if we have a need, may we be those who are willing to work so that we might receive God's provision through that. But may we also increasingly be those who are generous with physical resources as a reflection of those who have been given God's amazing generosity in Christ. Those who have had all of our needs met in Jesus, our Savior, our source of new mercies and grace upon grace, all the things that we have been generously lavished with, may we reflect God's generosity to others. But, but whether it's, it's the ordinary physical means of, of, of providing physically or whether it's this satisfaction in the deep longings of our soul that we are talking about, what, what I hope you see that as Jesus is the door to provision that ultimately all of this points us to Jesus. Ultimately, he is the one we are to look to. Ultimately, he is the one who is the way to provision. He is the door of the sheep. We enter through him for salvation, for eternal, abundant life. He is the source of protection. He's protection from external threats, and he protects us even from ourselves as he keeps us in the safety of the sheepfold. And he is the way to fields of pasture. He is the way to provision. The abundant life that Jesus provides for us 
in himself is far better than just a health and wealth gospel. The abundant life that Jesus offers is far better than a a self-deprecating, I got to suffer and all this sort of mindset that I reflected before. No, the, the life that Jesus offers is a life of abundance. It's a life that's eternal. It's a life that's safe. It's a life where we are satisfied. And so may we enter through Jesus into this abundant life. Let's pray together. Father, you have provided in Jesus a way, the way into salvation. Lord, you have provided in him protection for our souls. You have provided, Lord, grace upon grace upon grace. You have lavished us with generosity. Lord, all we have needed, your hand has provided. And so, Lord, would we always look to Jesus for satisfaction? Would we always look to Jesus for safety? Would we look to Jesus, the door of the sheep, Lord, the one you have provided? Lord, you are a good God. Lord, you have sent us a great Savior. So, Lord, may we have our hearts fully trusting in him for all things. We love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.